Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on quitting yourselves like men. Let me take a vote this morning. Just, just the dads. Nobody else gets a vote, okay? How many dads today want me just to say, take about 30 minutes and say how amazing you are? make you feel really good about yourself and send you home. Okay, I'm going to give you the other option, then we're going to vote on the two. How many people would like me to say a few things that are true that might hurt just a little bit but might make you a better dad? Who wants that? I think by process of Okay, yeah, that, the other ones lose. I didn't even make y'all raise your hand, but you lose. That's why I had the dad stand so I could get my, my base, see who was voting for. I'm thankful to have Rick and Susie with us today. Rick, pastor's in Morristown. I don't even know how he got away today on Father's Day, but he is a father to me. And to my wife, and I thank you so much for being here. What a great, great honor that you would come here today. I'm not even sure what to do with it. I drove my dad's truck today here. Thank you, DJ, for getting it running. And uh, it was a great honor. So cool. I ran out to jump in my truck. And my trailer was on it. And I was like, oh, man, my trailer's on there. And I was like, oh, DJ fixed that truck this week. I could drive it. So it wasn't even a planned thing, but it was so cool. So I jumped in it. It started right up and got to drive Dad's truck here today. That was awesome. What a treat. Thank you for everyone being here thank you for spiritual sons and daughters thank you joneses for being here today what an honor y'all come today on father's day if you guys will turn to second peter chapter one i'm a little distracted have i done everything i'm supposed to do good no that's not yet Second Peter, be careful with them. Don't mess them up. I need them in good shape. Did I say two? Second Peter chapter one. I'm sorry. Second Peter chapter one, verse two. There you go. I want to answer the first question that I think men need to answer. I think every man is asking this question, and I think we start asking this question at a very early age, and we ask it of our fathers, and sometimes our fathers don't give us the answer. And so I just want to start today by answering a question that I think is foundational before we can talk about anything else we're going to do. Okay? So 2 Peter 1 2 through 11, 
The question is, do you have what it takes? Every boy wants to know it. We test ourselves. That's why we sword fight. That's why we do all the things to, set, to try to answer the question, do I have what it takes? Starting in verse 2, may grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Can we just receive that? Do I have what it takes? May grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, everything... Somebody say everything. everything. We could ever need, say ever need, ever need, for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Do you have what it takes? For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises. He would not give you promises if you didn't have what it takes. But because you have what it takes, he's given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price. So that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. Beyond all price, you have what it takes, but it may take all that you have. You have what it takes, but it may take all that you have. See, sometimes we have what it takes, but we don't want to give all that we have. And so he's given you promises based on what he's put in you to accomplish those promises, but it's going to take all that he's given you to arrive at the promises. So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness. And to goodness, add understanding. And to understanding, add the strength of self-control. And to self-control, add patient endurance. And to patient endurance, add godliness. And to godliness, add mercy toward your brothers and sisters. And to mercy toward others, add unending love. Since these virtues are already, say already, planted deep within, and you possess them in abundance, somebody say abundant, supply, they will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. 
But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his innocence. You hear that? What robs you of those virtues? Forgetting your innocence. Doesn't that seem backwards? Man, the biggest problem we have is we forget how bad we are, so we don't always watch out for our bad stuff to come back up. It says we forget our innocence. For his past sins have been washed away. If you lack any of these things, it's because you're blind and you keep closing your eyes to the mysteries of our faith, which robs you of your innocence. You can't add mercy. You can't have an ending love. You can't treat other people right. You can't do anything with what's already in you if you can't get past what you did to mess it up. But you literally have to close your eyes to it. <laughs> I cannot believe. I joked with Jahan the other day about using this in a sermon. And as I just made that statement, it came up to me, and I'm really going to use it. <laughs> we were at Panera Bread. Took my bride to lunch the other day after our baby doctor appointment. He's a stud. <laughs> we actually made it there somehow twice this week. Same place. Mm -mm. Making a hospital visit. I was like, there's a Panera close to the hospital. Go with me to the hospital. We'll go eat lunch. Dinner. Mm, something. These birds, these little cute little birds, I just fell in love with them. They were precious. So I started feeding them my lunch. But like, as soon as I like looked at the birds, I didn't even have to move at the birds. It's like if they knew I was looking at them, they'd fly away. And I said, man, isn't that how it is? The only way these things can come in and eat the seed that's been sown in our life is if we completely and totally turn our head. They can't. They're so afraid. If we give any attention to them, if we look rightly at the work of the cross over any situation in our life, just like we took his body and his blood last week, if we, if we look at that rightly in a worthy manner, then nothing else can prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper unless you turn your head yes. and give it full reign. But if you'll just give a little attention and not be blind to what he's done, yes. these little assignments 
to come in and cause fear and doubt and turmoil and shame and all that stuff, they don't work as long as you keep seeing them in the right perspective of the cross. I just look at those little birds and they just fly away. I was like, my goodness, that's how simple it is. We have to intentionally almost turn our head. Want to feel guilt, want to feel shame, want to not see the glorious light of the redemption of Jesus in the situations in our life. Let go of the worth we feel. I've always heard people want attention even if it's bad attention. I think that's sometimes what we want. We got to let it go. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claimed you as his own. If you do these things, you will never stumble. As a result, the kingdom's gates will open wide to you as God choreographs your triumphant entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. I love that. As God choreographs your triumphant entrance. He's just getting it all like, he's like, you do this, you do this, you stand here, you stand there, I'm going to have him walk right here. It's going to be amazing. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Do you have what it takes? To say that you don't would mean that Christ doesn't have what it takes if he's living inside of you. Do you have what it takes? Of course you have what it takes. Everything it takes. But it may take all that you have. Here's the issue that we come to. 1 Samuel 4 Five through nine is a reference to a statement, a saying, and I'm going to read it. It's in context of the Philistines, but, and when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood, because of the shout, they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Don't you love the King James? Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? 
These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. In verse 9, here was the charge to the Philistines in opposition to the Israelites. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. First Corinthians 16, 13, the charge is to us, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. This phrase, quit you like men, is a, uh, it, it's not a biblical phrase, it's a old English term, you know, when the Bible was translated by King James, they used some terms of the day to represent the original language. The original language was kazak. Kazak, which means to strengthen yourself with resolve, cleave to your sword and fight. They used the term quit yourselves like men because that was a term in the day that meant what Kazakh meant. I love the picture of using that language in place of Kazakh. Quit yourselves like men. Do you have what it takes? Yes. But you've got to quit yourself like men and fight. See, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if I let him live in me, I have what it takes, but I have to quit myself like men. So he's telling them, y'all are crying, you're whining, you're scared, you're afraid. Quit yourself. Quit yourself like men and fight. Quit yourself. Some people want to tell me stories and stories and stories to justify everything they do, and I just want to look at them and say, quit yourself and fight. Quit yourself. Don't, don't tell me why yourself is so justified. Quit that self that's justified and let Christ live in you. We need to quit ourselves like men and fight. I have a little toy over here. Paul, can you actually get that to Rick? This is my sword. I got this from my quest. Not yet, Rick. 
Just hold it. Just hold it. That's your sword. You're not in the story yet. He's in the story. Here's the deal. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Strangely enough, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We need brothers born for adversity to sharpen our swords. I think for sake of time, I may skip reading, I don't think I can, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 21. You know, we like to quote verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands. Some people like to quote that verse. Pretty much, if you do it just right, methodically, you can back up any opinion you have from Scripture. If you take one word from this verse and one word from this verse and one word from this verse and take this sentence out of context, you can make it mean a lot of stuff if you don't care what it means and you just want it to mean what you think, you can do it. So we love that. Wives, submit to your husbands. Do you ever go back and read verse 21? And I've got the message here. I really don't even think I meant to pull the message, but I did. Um, verse 21 says, talks about relationships mutually submitting to one another, and that's where this whole section starts. This semicolon before it, it's a brand new thought, and it starts talking about mutually submitting to one another. And then it goes through both of our roles in mutually submitting to one another. Verse 21, we'll read it from the message. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Courteously reverent to one another. Wives, I mean, this is the first of it. This is how it starts. So add that to your speech, to your wife. Out of respect for Christ, we need to courteously be reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. 
His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Here's the problem. God gives us a mama. Beautiful, radiant mama. Sorry, Sorry. you can go back and sit down. God gives us a mama. Somehow, maybe our dad is absent. Somehow, maybe our dad is abusive. And all we have is our mama. And we try to sharpen our sword on our mama. It doesn't work. And then God sends us a radiant, glorious wife. And we, because we didn't learn how to sharpen our sword on a man, we try to sharpen our sword on our wife. We leave devastation in our wake. Sometimes we say, I just love my own castle with my little wife. She's the only one that gets me. If she's the only one that gets you, you've probably beat her to a position where she has no option but to listen. They can't be the only one that gets you. They can't even get you. Because it says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And God, in his great mercy, will send a man. With a sword. And the man will be faithful. And you'll come at the man with all the stuff you came at your mom, all the stuff you came at your wife. And all that's going to happen is your sword's going to sharpen as you fight 
battle. Sword's going to sharpen. But we resist a man. We don't want to be submitted to a man. Some of the most masculine men I know that think they're the toughest men I know, they're scared to death of men. That's why they want to fight all of them every time they see them. They can't even handle trying to have a conversation. They can't look another man in the eye. They can't do anything. Because all they've done their whole life is chop women down. We don't think we need fellowship with men. We have to. See, what happens is, moms, just a little note to you. Susie, will you come here just a minute? I'll let y'all stand in today. Just hold that sword out just like this, right? Hit the side of it. Susie, just hold that right there. Stand in between us. Hold that out a little further, Rick, away from your face. (laughs) Right there. Mamas. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Some of the reason men aren't sharp is because dad's been absent, dad's been abusive, but I know some women that are strong enough to withstand a sword. They've become so callous, they've become so hard, they've stayed with their husband so long, and he's calloused them, it's become like a bamboo stalk. Anybody ever tried to cut a bamboo stalk? It's not fun. It's not fun. They've become so callous, so hard, there's no beauty in bamboo. There's no flowers. There's no anything. Mom, I don't know who your husband is, but if you'll trust God with your son, I believe your son can come back and prune you and make you beautiful again. Thank you, Rick. Because see, what's supposed to happen with a sharp sword is we'll be able to go back to our mom. This is not a rose, so it doesn't have thorns, but let's just say it does, and we'll be able to just delicately remove her thorns. You know, they say it makes them grow better when you put a little angle on them, so we'll be able to delicately just come in, put a little angle on her. And we'll be able to take our wife. Ephesians 5 says, we make them beautiful. We create the wife we want by how we treat them. 
just like Christ creates the church he wants. Because he quit himself like a man and he fought. And he made us who we are. He quit himself and he thought equality with God, not something to be grasped. He quit himself and he fought. And he came down here like a boss and he did the work. And he delicately finessed us. And you will your wife. Maybe it won't be natural daughters. Maybe it'll be other daughters, but God may send you some daughters. And you'll be able to do them the same. Just help them flourish and help them grow. We learned this in counseling the other day in our enrichment. I'm sorry, not counseling. Men like scenery. Well, if you want beautiful scenery, yeah. better quit sharpening your sword on your wife and your children. And your mom and your sister. I ran out of flowers. I was going to have my sister give me one too. Because I sharpened my sword on her a lot when we were growing up. Didn't Nehemiah 4.14, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Second yeah. Samuel 10, 9 through 12 said, When Joab saw the front of the battle was against him before and behind. He was surrounded. He chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians and the rest of the people. He delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Verse 12, be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth good to him. I don't even know what's going to happen in this battle. We've got the glorious pleasure in our position of knowing the end. So we never even have to face a battle like that. But we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know whether we're going to have a little limp. We don't know what's going to happen. He said, I don't know whatever the Lord seems fit, but today let's play the men. Yeah. 
First Chronicles 19.13, be strong. And other translations say, play them in here. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. You know where this let us play the men phrase comes from? Again, when scripture was translated in 1611, they took a phrase from an actual martyr. Hugh Latimer is in Fox's book of martyrs, and him and his friend Nicholas Ridley were going to be burned at the stake as heretics for their teachings and beliefs in Oxford on October 16th, 1555. And Hugh Latimer looks over at his friend Nicholas Ridley and he says, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Let's play the men and we'll light such a candle that it'll never be put out. First Peter 2 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Look at that. Put on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Fathers, play the man. Be consumed. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, you have what it takes, but it may take it all. Be burned at the stake of your home. Give your life for your family and light such a candle in your home that shall never be put out so that they'll be able to see and they'll know which way to go. Romans 13, 12, night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So we must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes and once and for all clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. John 3 says that those in darkness try to avoid the light. 
Sometimes we try to avoid the sword of a brother or a man or a father. And we try to avoid the light of truth. But it's time to play the man. Subject ourselves to the sword. Submit ourselves to the light. You'll be like Paul on his way to Damascus. And he says, a bright light shone all about me. And it blinded him. It made him quit himself. Couldn't even see things the way he used to see them. Made him quit himself. Changed who he was. Changed his name. Changed what he saw. He never saw things again the same the rest of his life. The light made him quit himself. But we try to hide from it. We try to avoid it. Ephesians 5, 8, once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of your Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Your mission is to live as children flooded with his revelation light. Men, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. First Kings 2, 2 through 3, I'm going the way of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his way, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinance, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Joshua 1.9 is the verse that's on your decal today. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For he will receive the promise. You can't avoid every sword. You can't avoid every light. All this light and swords coming together, I think the kingdom's about lightsabers. I debated about something, and you guys know I never have time left, and I said, Lord, if I have time left, I'll do it. This is my quest book. I was at a place in my life where I was miserable. And I needed a breakthrough, and I went on a quest. 
And we had a fast day on that quest where we went out in the woods and we stayed all day long and the fast day fell on my birthday. What the best birthday present I ever had. And they, we do this journal thing and there's things that happen every hour and you flip through and you're not supposed to turn a page till you do the last thing. And I'm a rule follower, man, so I was like, Let's do it, and let's do it better than what they said. And then I came upon this little thing where it said, write a letter from yourself, from God to you. And I was just rolling through all the answers, because I know all the answers. You know what I mean? I knew all the answers. I know all the Bible answers. I know all the children's church answers. Angie Sherwood taught me all that stuff when I was a kid. So I knew all that then, you know. I knew all that stuff. I knew all the right stuff to say, but then they asked me to tell myself what God thinks about me, and I didn't know anything. Stumped me. Wonder why I was miserable. Doing ministry with all the answers and didn't know what God thought about me. So, it was a little easier to write him a letter. And I think I've read people the letter that, he, that I wrote from him to me, but I don't think I've ever written a letter, letter I writ, wrote to him. And I don't remember right now if some of this shouldn't be shared, so I'm just going to read it. <laughs> I try to filter as I get there. I even tried to use the right term, so I called him Abba, even though I could not stand it when people called him anything other than God. Maybe Father in a very proper way. <clears throat> I really don't know where to, so, I, so I could write this letter. I really wrestled with the, dad, with the letter from him to me, and eventually it's one of the last things I did in the day I wrote that letter, and I may read that too in just a minute. I really don't know where to begin, and I hate that I feel so clueless about how to talk to you. This is six years ago, guys. This is 13 years of full-time ministry, raised in church. So clueless about how to talk to you. I know that you know this already, but today is my birthday. I thank you for creating me and giving me life. There are times that I regret it, but overall I'm thankful that you have allowed me to live and experience the life that I have. I thank you for parents that raised me to have a vast knowledge about you. I would rather know what I know, even if it seems so deficient in comparison to who you really are than to have been raised without receiving any teaching about you. I thank you for loving me and giving your son up for me. I thank you for always pursuing me. Thank you for re revealing yourself to me through your word in a way that I have never seen you before. I need so much more revelation and intimacy. Father, I thank you for Jahan. 
She is such an amazing blessing to me. Thank you for speaking to her and revealing yourself to her. Thank you for prompting her and teaching her to love me the way that she does. I know that this is only through you that she can love me like she does. I'm sure that her heart often would like to shut me out, but she refuses to because she has your love in her. Please help me to be a better husband to her. I want her to feel like the most special woman in the world. Cherished, respected, loved, and honored. At this time, I was sharpening my sword on her. I lost my place. Cherished, respected, loved, and honored. Thank you for the amazing children that you've given me. I'm completely overwhelmed by the miracle that they are. I find it hard to believe with all the brokenness and lack in the world that you would give me six children that are perfectly healthy. I'm so thankfully. You fearfully and wonderfully made them perfect. Please help me to fearfully and wonderfully raise them. You've given them all of the potential in the world and entrusted them to me to help fulfill everything you created them for. I do not want to spoil your plans. I don't want to be the missing link or the fumble that cost us the game. My greatest desire is to know you intimately. All of my frustrations with life and relationships all come from the deficiency I have pertaining to intimacy with you. Can I know you? Can I see you? Can I hear you? Can I feel you? Can I experience you in all of these ways without wondering if you're real or a creation of my own understanding? Love, Michael. That's real. So I told you I wrestled the most with writing a letter from him to me. And I said, I finally just got frustrated. Somebody was away from my tent and said, man, I heard you in that tent. Like, like you were screaming and yelling and crying and the tent was moving. I mean, I was wrestling with God because I could not write a letter from him to me. It was clueless. So I get so passionate about my name is Jacob that I preached a couple weeks ago because I had that encounter where I wrestled with him. So I finally just decided, you know what, I have to do this stuff. I mean, I'm getting frustrated. I'm behind. I, I need to do this stuff. So you know what I'm going to do, God? I'm going to make up a bunch of stuff. So I'm just going to write a fairy tale letter. What was the terminology you used Wednesday? A delusion. A what delusion? A something two-word thing. It's like a delusion of grandeur. It was something you used Wednesday night. A little bit different, but it's not a delusion. It's not a just positive thinking. But I thought I would just write down something, the best I could see. And halfway through the letter, it broke. And I don't know how 
I knew. I, I say God said, but then people are like, how did he say it? I'm just saying God said to my heart, halfway through the letter, how'd you know what I was saying? Anything that's in your heart to hear from me, I put that desire in your heart because that's what I'm saying. There's a little bit of stuff in this letter about my dad and I came to greater revelation later in life and over the last few years, but I'm going to read it anyways. Happy birthday. This is from God to me. Happy birthday, son. I'm so excited, excited to celebrate this day with you. I'll never forget when you took your first breath. I created you for such amazing things. I put so many things inside of you to impact the world around you. When you took that first breath, I looked at Jesus and said, it's his time. He's going to be an amazing son. He will make us so proud. He's perfect. Michael, I'm so proud of you. You've done many great things. You've led many people to know me through Jesus. I'm sorry I gave you a dad that wasn't very affectionate and didn't give you all the affirmation you desired. I knew that you would turn to me and let me be your father and meet all of your needs. I needed someone to break the cycle of rejection and fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. Did I say that? I put in you a passion for me, and I knew it would lead you to discover all that you need and want in me. I know it's not been easy, and I know there has been much pain. I'm proud at what you have done with your life in spite of the pain, but now is the time to let it go. You've reached the end of yourself. If any more good can come from the rest of your days, it must be through a healed vessel. You have accomplished all that you can as an orphan, but there's so much more for you as a son. Will you be my son? Will you accept my adoption? Will you allow me to heal you and complete you? I promised Jahan one of my sons for a husband. I promised her one of my sons as a father to her children. When I made Elias, I made him for my son. When I made Nisi, I made her for my son. When I made Josiah, I made him for my son. When I made Eva, I made her for my son. When I made Evie, I made her for my son. When I made Nehemiah, I made him for my son. These children are all perfect gifts for my son. I want them to be raised as my grandkids until they know me for themselves as father. There are things that I have for them that I can only get to them through their dad, my son. You know me. This is his, his answers to my questions. You know me. You've seen me. Relax, my son. Stop striving 
and working. We've got this together. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm able. Please write me again soon. I love corresponding with you. Let's get together soon, son. I really enjoyed my time with you. Love, Daddy. I feel like I need to share this today because I feel like it's a word for some of you today. It's a good time to quit yourself because you're actually already at the end of yourself. Those words that he spoke to me, if any good is going to come out of the rest of your days, it's going to be from a healed vessel. It's time to be healed. It's time to let go. I meant to look it up what John wrote this week. So powerful about fathers. I don't know everybody's story. But it's time to quit your story. It's time to quit, quit all the excuses and all the reasons and all the daddy issues. Man, daddy issues are crippling a generation. We have the best dad who made the whole world, yet we've got daddy issues. Clearly, we just don't know who he is. We're not letting the light reveal to us the Father. We're being blinded to our innocence. We're being blinded to our adoption. We're being blinded to who we really are. We're being blinded to all those things, and we're letting earthly fathers try to dictate what we've seen. We're trying to dictate who he is. It's time. It's time. It's time to be healed. I had this thought today. Nights of light. Nights of light. I want to night fathers today. And I want to night sons today to become fathers. Will you help me night people today? I thought I had more flowers than I had, so you'll have to use your imagination. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That was the garden. Does your life look like a garden? It can. but it takes you 
caring and nourishing the beauty that he puts in your path and not mowing it all down with your sword. Time to put off the macho stuff, all the ego stuff, all that. I don't need anybody. Of course you do. Of course you do. Your wife sure wishes you had somebody. So you didn't come home and dump it all on her. Your kids sure wish you had somebody. So you didn't come home and dump it all on them. All the beautiful things in your life wish that you had somebody. I just say I volunteer at this point in my life. I volunteer. Just come on over and claim your sword all you want. I think I'm finally free enough to not let it wound me. I think I'll just strike back, help you sharpen. You need some people in your life. Let you sharpen your sword on them. Strong, confident, bold, not swayed like your mama to all your emotions. We need men to grow up. We just trade our mom in for our wife and our wife in for our kids and we just keep these people around us all the time that we can just abuse. I mean, for lack of a better word. It's Father's Day, man. This is this is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is because I want you to have this. This is a Father's Day present. Your life to be surrounded in beauty. We love scenery. Right? It's not enjoyable. Everybody stand up with me, if you will. Are the dipping dots melting, Blake? Got them? That dry ice, got them? Yeah. Yeah. Let's pick them up and put them in there. Once you're knotted, you need to pick them up and put them in there.
need to fix some stuff. need to fix some stuff. So we're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. Come up here, Padre. This is not kneeling before me or kneeling before Padre. This is submission to God. And this is not our authority. This is in proxy. Let's make that clear. All I have is delegated authority. I have no authority. I'm under authority. So just a minute, we're going to let you line up. All men, all fathers, how about let's do this? Young men, can I just say, I was telling my boys last night, there's things that aren't wrong, but if we exercise self-control, self-control gets stronger. If you eat all the blooming onion, like a ravenous beast. You have no room for filet mignon. The older you get, you know the filet mignon's coming. So you pace yourself. You let everybody else get blooming onion. Then you just get a few bites if there's any left. Because I got filet coming. We don't jump and run of everything. It's just self-control. Self-control. So as a sign of that, and a sign of honor, young men, let's let our fathers go first. So as we form a line, let's let fathers go first, and young men, let's prefer them before our, us. I think I'm young. I say young. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably as father as anybody in here, and I'm old. So I guess I'm not that anymore. I'm getting old. Nights of light to light their house. Nights of light to be put on a lampstand lead their home, lead their family into truth. You know, these they, they got to have light, too. Yep. Don't chop them down and shine your light on them. And they'll be beautiful. Period. Period. Man, my wife's terrible. Well, be a better husband. Yep. What? Yep. Be a better husband. Yep. Be a better husband. Yep. 
Who wants to be a better husband? Who wants to be a knight of light? We're just going to make a line and just come up and just kneel. We'll make two lines. And we're just going to, you're just going to submit your life, submit to Christ, and we're just going to knight you, knights of light. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 